Thank you. It's a delight to belong to Jesus. I um, made a flying trip to Tulsa, where my dad is, and uh, dad's 99 and still drives. So if you get in the Tulsa area, watch out for a silver Chevy and give it room. Um, seems to be a pretty safe driver. Um, I know he is, he is cautious. And uh, he, he was talking about something that, that I've never heard him talk about. And I don't know whether the Lord's ta- telling him that he's, you know, he's winding down. I think God does that to some people. And um, dad is a candidate because he just has lived for God so long and so well. And he, he spends all morning, every morning praying for me because I need it more than you know. Praying for everybody and, and reading the scripture. And um, he, he plays the tapes of the scripture and follows it in, his, uh, in the Bible so that he, he gets both the uh, reading input, the uh, visual, and the auditory. But he, he said something I haven't heard, and it, it was like, um, I don't know whether I know who I am. I've never been here before. This is a new place. Well, of course, every day is a new place, unless you die, and then that will be a new place. And that's because time progresses. Time goes onward. But I like, I like the, the thought of holding that. I, I've never been here before. And some of us feel like that we are really old in the Lord or we're, we're very young in the Lord or we, we know what we're doing. Uh, if you're a professional person, you, you probably had to take a, some kind of monster certification exam or you may have uh, had to go through a series of those if you're if you're entrepreneurial you you've been tested over and over again because of of taking your heart and life and money and putting it into something and then um, trying to figure out ways to make it happen make it go so we feel like we're familiar with this if you've been married a long time uh, I would I would say to you that you probably can get this figured out if you're the female, because guys are not very complex. If you're the male, keep your eyes on Jesus and be willing to serve this woman that he has given you and get over yourself. Now, that that should be challenging to the men and insulting to the women. If I didn't get that done, I'll, you want me to try again? Or you can just take my word for it. That's what I intended to do. But we all are at a place where we've never been here before. And we never have a, we never have a New Year's occurrence that I don't think back to the end of 1957. I started preaching in 1957. Seven. I was two years old, and no, actually, actually, I'd been to Southwestern two years. But um, the uh, at the end of that year, it was like, will we get through to the 
to the New Year's Eve services. Will we make it that far? Will we make it all the way through service before the Lord comes? And let me tell you that it's still true today in the heart of, of someone that the Lord has put this burn to preach or minister in some special way and, and make a career uh, in, in that kind of way. All of us are called to the ministry, so I'm, I'm trying to choose my words here so that I don't um, get you off the hook because you're called to the ministry if you belong to Jesus. If you don't belong to Jesus and you ever come to him, you're called to the ministry and he has works already laid out for you that he prepared before he made the world for you to do. But some of us have this, okay, I'm going to have to go to school and I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to um, prepare myself. I'm going to have to get some theological training and, uh, and there is a certification test. As a matter of fact, there's a three-level deal if you want to be an AG clergyman. But um, the, the thing is, we looked at that, all that training and said, man, I've got to get started preaching because Jesus is going to come before I have time to get a degree. Does that sound weird to you? Those of you who are clergy know that's the truth. That's just the way we are. We expect the Lord to come. And so every year now when we come, I say, well, the Lord did not come yet this year. And, you know, there's a lot of things you can say to that, but he's one year closer. That's obviously true. So we've never been here. Now, we, we've been where I'm about to take us because I think this will be, this will be the fifth time that I have made this series of statements. And in every case, I have done the disclaimer about this being prophecy. This is not the word of the Lord. This is my opinion. And this is a really good year for Israel to take out Iran's nuclear capabilities. And I was so sure in the early part of 2010 that that year they would do it. Well, I was so sure that, you know, 11 and 12 and last year, and it's like, they're going to have to do it. Or if Iran gets the opportunity, they will have another Holocaust and they'll have it in their homeland. All of that to say, we've never been here before. By the way, I do believe, did you, did you get that? I played with it so much, I might not have made it clear. I do believe Israel will take out Iran's nuclear capabilities this year. Uh, I'm, I'm not as sure as I was in 10, but, uh, but I, I do expect it. And that's because of what the Scripture says, and that's because of what those Israelis say. Every time those guys and gals are sworn into the, uh, they, they graduate from their basic training in the, uh, in the, Israeli army called the Israeli Defense Forces. They take them to Masada in uh, southern Israel. It's on, the, it's on the Dead Sea. It's a big, it's a big mountain uh, with flat top. On the north end of it is a, the ruins of a stepped palace that Herod built. And they take them up there because that's where about a thousand Jews went in... Uh, about 
uh, it was in the in the middle of the second past the middle of the second century, and they they were fleeing from the Romans, and the Romans came and built a a ramp up to the top of that thing, and that's several hundred feet high, this mountain, and uh, finally the the Romans got up there, and the Jews could not hold them off face to face. The Romans did not lose battles. They, they had a military system that worked, a, a four-deep set of soldiers in their infantrymen, and they were strong enough that they could withstand a cavalry charge. This is, this is the Roman army. They had eight camps. Uh, the walls of those, you can count them all the way around Masada. And they did not intend for this thousand Jews to get by with this. You can't defy Rome. We will not only hurt you, we'll kill you or make a slave out of you. And uh, they had lots of food. They burned the Jews. When they saw that it was over, they burned everything but their food storage places, just so the Romans would know that they didn't starve them out. And uh, they got together and made a suicide pact, and they all killed themselves except a, a um, young single mother. And I, that might have been planned so that she could tell them the inner workings of this whole story. They take these young recruits up on top of that and swear them into the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, and they say... Masada will never fall again. And that's the way they bring them in. Masada will never fall again. So I don't think that it's a big deal to the Israelis to have to jump on Iran because they see that if they don't, they could fall because um, the intelligence level of the let, let, let me start over with that. The good sense level of the Iranian leadership, at least what they say, if that's an indication of their good sense level, is low enough that they would, they would nuke Israel. And uh, I read in the 38th and 39th chapters of, of Ezekiel, it looks to me like that there is a nuclear war there and the enemies of Israel are all killed, and it takes them seven months to get all of the bodies buried. Read that this week. If you haven't read Ezekiel in a while, go to start with chapter 37. That's the regathering of, of the nation of Israel, the dry bones. Prophesy to those dry bones, and they get sinews and flesh, and then the wind blows, and, and they get breath. And then we read about what happens and hasn't happened yet. This is this is not happened yet. And of course, I believe Bible prophecy, I think it's going to happen. Now, all of that is coming. We've never been here before. And it, that particular thing that about uh, Israel and, and Iran may not happen this year. But I do know that there's going to come some stuff in your life this year, that's going to be really, really tough. No, I don't know what it is. 
But in every year, you, you get a little test or a large test. You've noticed that. This is not because God wants to hurt you. It's because the devil wants to hurt you. And life, it seems to me, wants to hurt you while the devil's busy somewhere else. Uh, our brother on the second row lost his wife of a lot of years. How many years? 58 years this past year. Wasn't funny. Not funny this morning. Pray for Gene. But life just does that. Um, a few minutes ago, the father of this tall, handsome policeman that died mid-year, member of our congregation, uh, Mr. Cooley, I saw him a few minutes ago, and one of the things I said to him, you're not supposed to have to bury your kids, are you? No, no, that's not funny. And you, you say, boy, you're, you're really encouraging me here, Pastor. I'm just ready to get up and get after it. Well, good, that's what I want. No, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. There is a thief. His name is Satan. He is the accuser, and he will accuse you to God if he thinks it would do any good, but he will accuse you to you all the time. If you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, he told you you were not. Remember that? I think that's 100% of us who've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You just made those words up. You just made that sound up. But if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, he says you got everything you need. If you get this message that doesn't look like it's from Scripture, listen carefully to what it says because probably exactly the opposite is true. Jesus said he's a liar, and when he lies... He speaks his native tongue. His tongue is always false. Prevarication is, a, is one of the words that means untruth or lie. He always plans and lies. When he could tell the truth, it's, he, he just can't do it. It's his native tongue, and he's going to be just like me. I... I've tried for 40 years to become a Missourian, and I'm still an Okie. He will lie to you, and he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. As true as that is, the rest of this verse, which is a quote from Jesus, is true. Jesus continues, I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. One translation, uh, modern English, life with a capital L. This is God's will, that you have life. Life that knows him, that knows yourself, that loves and is loved. Life that has a place to go. I remember, and thinking about Gene, and my heart aches for him, and I pray for him, 
I remember when my dad, who had been married for 65 or 66 years, lost his spouse, and I, I thought, well, we may lose dad in the next few months because that's a long time, and he was in his middle 80s. So I said, Dad, how, how is it? And he says, sometimes it's like this huge black hole. And he said, when that hits me, I just have to get in the Word. And that was his answer, was just to immerse himself in the truth of the Scripture and stay in there until the light came back on. And he, he I, every time I see him, he tells me what a wonderful woman my mother was. And I already knew that. And so this last visit, he was telling me why he didn't remarry, because he's, he's been single again now for 13 and a half years. And uh, I don't know whether he's lying about it or not. I doubt it that he's lying about it, but he tells me that he gets occasional proposals. <laughs> and he says, you know, after, you, after you've lived with Margaret, it just doesn't look good. Now, this life more abundantly means that even when a black hole faces you of that seriousness, Jesus will be there to walk with you through it to see that you're okay until the light comes back on. That's the will of God. And Jesus said it like this, coming to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you today are coming up out of a hole, and things look so much better than they have for the last few months that it's like, it's, it's better. It's better, Pastor. It's better. And uh, the, the thing that is important is to enjoy it, praise God, minister to other people, because the enemy will come and lie to you again and set up something that appears um, like a lie, and it will be. But Jesus says if you, if you are overworked, that labor there is not just normal work because we are made to work. By the way, work is not the curse. Work is a gift. Work, or the curse rather, is that the ground which would only bring forth grain and fruits and so forth, and those before, the, before sin came, the ground would now bring forth weeds and all kinds of stinking stuff. Um, I was riding out in the boondocks out west. Some riding means horsebacking. Just read my mind. So I was riding, and it was... And um, I didn't have on boots, which is really weird because we just always kind of geared up for this. But I rode through some nettles. And I just got my, the front of my ankles just butchered with all of this toxin, all this swelling and this angry color. That's 
that stuff is there because of sin. That's the curse. So if you think, man, I hate my work, I hate my job, I hate to work, um, you need to make friends with God's program because work, you, it is intended for you to be able to do it and get paid to do it. That's the plan. So look on it as a gift. So this, if you labor, means it means you're overworked. There are some jobs that will tear you down and a good night's rest won't, feel, won't fix you. All of us have had days like that. And, and if we're kind of self-aware, we think, man, I couldn't do this every day. Some, some days were, are stressful. I had to operate a, a business meeting for the Southern Missouri District. And it was a, it was a highly stressful meeting. And uh, took a couple of hours and somebody said to me, Afterwards, how would you like to do that every day? And I said, well, you'd have to raise my pay. And, of course, the, the catch in that is that I wasn't getting paid to do that. But anyway, <laughs> why would a guy volunteer for that? You know, so I don't know. Anyway, this is overworked and heavy laden. is not like carrying. You see backpacks everywhere, especially on younger people. And in most cases, those backpacks are manageable as far as their weight. They don't mess up the skin. They don't mess up the, the muscle or joints that, that's involved in that. And uh, when you take it off, if you're really tired of carrying it, a good night's rest, you're ready to carry it again. Not a problem. That's, that's not what this is. These words mean heavy laden means overloaded. So you're overworked overloaded Jesus says come over here take my yoke which is a euphemism in that culture for work take my work upon you learn from me now you if you're going to take his yoke see it's his yoke and he's the other he's the other beast of burden if you will in the yoke you know what a, anybody not know what a yoke is that's, that's that thing that ties two horses or cows or whatever's pulling this load. Uh, and we, we used to call it, uh, they, if we were working our horses, they had work harness and we had light driving harness for when we were pulling our carts and stuff. And um, when we had a team, the, the yoke really was called a double tree and it was behind them. They'd have the collar on, and then there were uh, uh, traces that went back to a single tree, and two single trees were fastened to a longer one that was a double tree, and uh, it was hinged here so that the animals didn't have to stay exactly together. And uh, there was a little flexibility there, and then this, this center hinge is what pulled the wagon or whatever load was being pulled. Take Jesus into your team and let him. You see, if you can't pull the load, he probably can. And he's saying, come on over here and let me give you rest. Learn about me. And here is the key, dear one. And for Crown Point Church, this is it. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. 
And then he just puts it in words you can't misunderstand. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My work is easy, will not destroy you. My load is light, it will not break you down. And then when we come into that, we get to rest in him. We learn about a lowly heart. If you are, are more spiritual than anyone around, you, you just come into this service and you can look around and you're more spiritual than I am, which is not a big deal. But you're not supposed to think that. Because when you think that, right then, you're not. So if you're better than I am, or better than your spouse, or better than the other pastors, or better than the Sunday school teacher, any servants in the church, you're not. Sorry, you just blew it. If you had faced that thought and said, hey, I, uh, I recognize that. That's called spiritual pride. And it may be an indication because the built-in temptation for when you do spiritual growth is spiritual pride. If you have actually made some progress spiritually, you will be hit with the fact that you have made some progress and you are better. And if you just drop it there, you're better than you were, that's fine. But if you're better than someone else, back to the woodshed or whatever his, whatever his method is of training you. Jesus says through his apostle, Peter, in, uh, I think we've got, on the, it's going to show up on the screen as First Peter, it's actually Second Peter, the first chapter. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So here is, the, here is what we need. It is in God and, and uh, his expression in the earth, his son, Jesus Christ. This is God. Has, has divine power, it, and it gives us everything we need, life, godliness. We get to know him. He called us by his own glory and goodness. Another word for that is grace. And so through these, we have these incredible promises. And here's what I want to say to you, church. I would like for you, dear one, and church is, is a collective term. I, I really mean individual member of the body of Jesus Christ. I'd like to just sit down with you and say, God has everything you need. Everything you need. What do you need? What's going on in your life? What are you facing? What have your crummy decisions uh, in your past set you up that now you need to get out of whatever this is? What? What? What's going on? God has everything you need. And if, if, I, if I could sit by you, it would be fun if it were appropriate for me to put my arm around your shoulders and say, you know what? I have in my arm here a bundle of the perfection of the power and the glory of God. 
everything, if you're supposed to be praying for me, everything that I need is in you. Everything. What do you need? Well, I, I, I do need to pray for people that are sick and they get well. It's done. It's done. Uh, a minute ago, Daniel made a uh, deal about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the power. Just had to run by that because he didn't have much time. He made a, he made a great report in a brief amount of time. And uh, this baptism in the Holy Spirit is the same power in which Jesus moved. I know that through the years we've said, when he wept at Lazarus' tomb, that was the man. When he walked on water, that was God. Now that preaches. Oh my goodness, you can just get into that and you can just make those contrasts. And what we're implying is actually incorrect. We're implying that he switched back and forth from God to man, God to man, God to man. No, he was always fully God. Of course it was God when he, you know, he, he, was, he was, let's do it like this. He was man when he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, and he was God when he called him out. Well, that's true because he was always man, and he was always God. But you look at it, and he was filled with the Spirit when he was water baptized, and every miracle that he ever did, every right answer that he ever gave came out of the gifts of the Spirit. Fully God, absolutely. Do I understand that? Absolutely not. But he was God. And we know that, and that's good theology. But good Christology is this. He stayed in his humanity. Therefore, when the Scripture says he's your example, that ever int intimidates you? It's like, what? This is God. Don't tell me to be like God. No, he's man that you're supposed to follow. Get full of the Spirit, and there's the key, and then believe God. And you see, this is what I want us to, this is what I want us to believe. We have received these very great and precious promises. And if we will believe those promises, honey, wow. Believe the promises. Who is sick? Jesus took stripes that did not have to do with the forgiveness of our sins that I can find any way in Scripture, and I've never heard it implied in any theology book or any commentary that I have read. Jesus took those stripes for the healing of our lives, not just, not just diseases, but so much is broken, so much is ruined for the healing of and it speaks about this in the past tense. By his stripes, ye were healed. By his stripes, you were healed. I want you and me both to have the faith to believe these promises so that we can say, it's done. Now, Lord, give me the wisdom to get this loosed and into this sick body. So that when you are facing a disease, facing a whatever, 
that it would be safe to call the elders of the church if you want to go to the book of James. Because supposedly we have the power, prayer, faith, heal the sick. Lord will raise him up. If sin is an issue, sins will be forgiven. And I want that, I want that for those broken lives around you and your neighborhood, those people who's, that you know, and before your eyes in your neighborhood, their marriage has come unraveled. Or the parent-child thing has just gone south, and the kids have grown up and just given the parents what for? That's negative, in case you're not familiar with these old terms. Have given them a bad time. Right in front of your face. I want us to touch those lives. You see, we are called to love God. And when we really get a picture of God, we can love others because loving others is just, that's what God does. And it's going to be hard for you to stay mad at me no matter what I did to you if you really love God. So that when you're mad at somebody for what they did, Take it back to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to talk to me about your love for me and my love for them. That was good, by the way. That can keep some of you out of hell because we do not believe that once you're saved, you never, ever can get rid of it. And the quickest way to get rid of salvation is to refuse to forgive. And Jesus taught it over and over again when he taught Forgive me while I forgive others. Then he would, after he concluded that prayer, he would say, For if you will forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And if you won't forgive men their sins, he won't forgive your sins. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to take Greek to learn that. You can read that. It just nails me every time I go through that. It's all through the Gospels. Forgive. So I pray. Lord, Forgive me, and we talk about whatever we need to talk about on that thing. And then I say, now I want to forgive, and I start looking for people that I need to forgive. And then I pray this, and I, I recommend this. Lord, don't let me get by with any sin, especially unforgiveness. Especially unforgiveness. Because I want you to go to heaven. I want me to go to heaven. Now, if you don't go to heaven, I'm still going to go. But I want to go with you. Because if you don't go, I think I'm going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, let's talk about this. Because I'm, I have some responsibility for you. You say, well, I'm responsible. Yes, you are. But also teachers are judged by a higher standard and that's kind of hairy. So... Love God and then love others. And then we need to grow, connect, and go. And church, if I could, if I could speak about the state of the church, this early part of the year, 2014, if we can grow in Jesus Christ, connect with him, with the word, with each other, and go, whether it's go to each other, Go to our neighbors, our family, go around the world. Um, Iris and Daniel go around the world in Rolla because they have these a thousand who are technically foreigners, thousand foreigners 
we, we're a little kinder than that. We say foreign students or international. What we say is internationals. Isn't that what we say? Okay. I finally got it. Internationals come to them, but we still have to go. And if it's just across the table, you got to go. So, love God like we've never loved him before. We've got to do that, dear one. If this is the last year or if we've got two centuries left before Jesus comes, we've got to love better this year. This is the year to get with it. If not, why not? If not now, when? Secondly, it's time to love like we've never loved. Your marriage needs to be better than it's ever been. And if Jesus waits to come this year, I want you, if you're still married, that is, if your spouse has, has survived and is willing to live with you, <laughs> I want that to be far better than it is today. Far better. That's the will of God. So, well, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to hang on. Hang on. If that's where you are, just don't turn loose. Hang on. And if you need some help, we'd be glad to help you because God intends for us to grow, to connect, and to go. It is, it is so exciting to think what God can do with this crowd. This crowd. If it's about money, reminds me of the story of the pastor says, I have uh, bad news and good news. The bad news is it's going to cost $40,000 to fix the roof. Good news is we've got the money. Bad news is it's still in your pocket. <laughs> we've got the money. Everything we need here, we've got the money. If we need prayer power, we are among people, if you're not one of them, we are among people who know how to pray and believe God and stand. And having done all to stand, just stand. You're among those kind of people. They don't look much different from the rest of us, but they can change your world for you. Be nice to them. Make friends out of them so they're willing to carry your burden to the Lord and so forth. If you're not walking with Jesus, I have great news. He is out to get you. Now, a lot of people grew up where God was really big and bad, and you had to kind of keep on the move, because if you got real still, he might nail you. And he had this long arm, and there's a big fist at the end of it, and it would just come down, and you'd just be a greasy spot, just smack. Well, that's not exactly accurate. The fact is, he has really long arms. But they are open, and he's trying to get them around you to pull you up on his lap and love you and heal you. So that's open to you. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's a gift Ask us, we'll pray for you. God will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He gives his gifts. If you need other things from the Lord, they're available. That's 
what happens in the church of Jesus Christ. May we pray? Father, I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you because your promises are great.